Two months after her husband died on November 12, 1851, Eliza Ripple stopped writing letters to her mother back in Kalamazoo. The reason was both simple and complex. Her mother had written her three letters, all of them lamenting and lamenting and lamenting Peter's demise. But apart from the shock, which was perfectly understandable given that he was shot in a bar fight in Monterey, Eliza was more relieved than upset. They had been married for a little over two years. She was 18 when her father handed her over to Peter, who was 38. Eliza had hardly known Peter at the time, as he was new to Kalamazoo, visiting a cousin he had there. He had presented himself as prosperous and well-mannered, an experienced traveler with connections and funds. Eliza had offended both of her parents by becoming fond of a boy her age from Ireland, County Cork, who worked in a lumber mill, though not the one her father owned, was tall and handsome, spoke with a lilt, hadn't a penny, and was, of all things, Catholic. All of the members of her family, staunch covenanters, were convinced that the Irish, especially those from Cork and Dublin, were soulless sinners. Her father had pointed to a freed slave who'd run across the Ohio River to Cincinnati, and then made his way north and said, better Josiah Grant than that bog trotter. Peter never told her parents he was a covenanter, or even a Presbyterian, but he had the right name, Cargill, and was happy to be married in their little church in Kalamazoo. And the only thing Eliza could think of while the ceremony was taking place was the sight of Liam Callahan standing on the corner of Lovell Street and Park Street, the red autumn leaves fluttering above him, staring at their carriage as they drove to the church. Perhaps her parents assumed that Peter would settle down in Kalamazoo, buy himself a sturdy house, and produce the grandchildren her mother was ready for. But once the snow melted off in the spring, Peter was already preparing himself for California, the gold rush, his future wealth. And whatever wealth he had was all in the future. By the Christmas after they were married, Eliza knew perfectly well that the wealth he had wooed her parents with was a mirage. And Eliza, of course, was to come along as his servant. That was clear, too. It was not that Eliza's parents disagreed with the idea that Eliza was born to be Peter's servant, but they did not act out their beliefs. In actual fact, her father was her mother's servant and had been as long as Eliza could remember. They slept in different rooms. He was to knock if he wanted to enter, because if he came in suddenly, he would give mother a headache. He was to let her decide what was to be done with the house, or the garden, or the horses, or Eliza. At the end of each month, when he brought home his profits from the mill, he handed them to mother, who divvied up the money to pay the bills, and then sent him to the bank with what was left. Eliza was their only offspring. More evidence for Eliza, once she was married, that mother called the shots. These sorts of things would never happen with Peter. Part of the reason Eliza didn't mourn him, and part of the reason she was now earning her living, and a good living, in Monterey, was that he had made it clear that he intended to put it to her, whether she liked it or not, once or twice every day. Then, when she felt the quickening, he took her to a woman on South Pitcher Street in Kalamazoo, 
who gave her some concoction and kept her overnight. She never saw the remains. After that, he regularly pulled out and also bought a few rubber things that he used. When he got her to Monterey, he found a doctor who gave her her own rubber thing, a pessary, which she was to wash and insert and take care of. If there was anything that she was thankful to Peter Cargill for, it was the knowledge that enabled her to not be impregnated again. Of course, the gold venture led nowhere. Once, say 10 years before, Monterey had been somewhere. But now that status was conferred upon San Francisco, two days travel up the coast. Monterey was a handsome and pleasant town, but there was no gold in the hills nearby. Ships found the bay too big and the winds too variable, and the inland areas were intimidating, to say the least. There were fertile and productive places to farm, but they were cut apart by sharp peaks and deep slopes. 